please be advised. Spoiler alert episode. Spoiler. Please be advised. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler up. 98. Once upon a time in Hollywood. So close to that 100 mark. We're, we're getting hit it soon. We're ending. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get it soon. And uh, so, folks, this is a spoiler up. This is a Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. If you're new to the spoiler ups, we're gonna talk about the most aspects of the movie, including the ending. So, if you've not seen this movie, this is not for you to listen to. Hit the pause button. Go come back later. Come back at least three hours later, <laughs> and uh, and then you can listen to this movie. So, all right. All right. We talked about this in the regular episode. You guys liked it. Mike liked it more. Mm -hmm. I did not. I've only seen it once. I've only seen it once. There's a lot of aspects to it that I did like, and I'll mm -hmm. go into the things that I liked. Mike has seen it twice, going on three. Going on three Yeah, times. I'll be going tonight to see it a third time. <clears throat> For me, the, when we got to the ending, and I was like, really? Yes. I waited around for two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes mm -hmm. to just not have them so it was his fantasy of them not getting murdered i was like okay what was the why did i what i didn't need to do this let me ask you this like from a historical uh um perspective i don't know all the details of the manson murders mm -hmm. and all of those things like uh was quentin tarantino trying to say all right this was the first attempt at the murders like this these members of the commune they tried to do the murders they failed then it's almost like another team went out and committed the murders that then we know about in no, history. This is an alternate. No, because universe. they're this is an alternate universe. That, okay. No, because their <clears throat> their big gun was in this. He was that on the team. He winds up getting. Uh, he's. Uh, this was not a fledgling effort. Tex is there, okay. which indicates to you that this is the real family. This is them. Okay. Really Tex is the guy that was in part of the real. Yes. Right. Tex. Tex is. He was the main guy in the Manson family besides. Manson. So we're looking at an alternate reality, alternate universe, alternate outcome of historical events. Yep. I'm going to give you a word, and I think you'll make the connection right away when I say this. He made a fable okay, about yeah. about the Manson murders. Okay. That's what he made. He made mm -hmm. certainly alternate ending, however you want to phrase it, mm -hmm. but just the very title alone, mm -hmm. the very ending with that, that, that nice little piece of music from Judge Roy Bean, mm -hmm. and then the, the aerial shot of... Oh look, everybody's okay and everything's fine. Mm. He made he made a violent fable, right? And and with it with a different ending from what happened in real life. Mm -hmm. That's how I like to look at it. Interesting. Okay, so um, one of the things as I was watching this movie is that because I knew that these would eventually be referenced these Manson family murders because, he, uh, because it was in the trailer and we saw mm -hmm. you know and he uh, references Shannon's the date. actual date. So yes. so yeah. August 9th, nineteen sixty nine, four days after I was born. By the way. Mm -hmm. um, this is when those actual murders happen. Yes, and I remember the murders were committed movie. by Tex Watson, Susan uh -huh. Atkins, Linda Kasabian, mm -hmm. uh, who brought a knife and drove to and from the murder, but did not directly participate in the killing. And Patricia, and she was probably the one that bailed then yes. and uh, drove mm -hmm. away with the car. Uh, because I remember in the middle of this film, watching it, and I'm thinking, just it's you know a lot of Brad Pitt and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio just kind of um, having some dialogue back and forth. This is the least violent Tarantino movie I've ever seen. And then surely that's going to change. And sure. sure enough, at the end, um, we have this vastly um, graphic 
you know, murder scenes that relentlessly actually happen, graphic. relentlessly graphic. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, what I was thinking is that they were so brutal and they were so graphic that I can't imagine like. I guess that's why you said people were laughing, like, because it was so over the top. It was almost like satirical violence. But I thought that the movie was so grounded that I found that violence all the more horrifying at the end than I did satirical or, uh, or funny. So I, I did not get that reaction at all. Well, I, I think it's a real unexpected moment for people. Like, I, they don't, I, I will say this I wish as a, as a viewer, he would have done a better job of camouflaging them going into Rick Dalton's house. Because when he said to Susan, he's like, go around the back and see if there's a door. She clearly goes around the back of DiCaprio's house. If they would have approached the gate, if they, you know, if the, it would have been framed differently, we would have seen them in front of the gate for the Tate house. Oh, by the way, if you don't know what happens, all right, in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, spoiler alert, as you all know, it's a spoiler episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the Manson family shows up on Cielo Drive and they break into the wrong house in this movie. And instead of killing Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring and uh, Wojtek Frykowski and, uh, and Folger, they wind up dealing with Brad Pitt and they wind up dealing with Leonardo DiCaprio. So they break into their house instead of... And the dog. And the dog, certainly. So Brad Pitt is just, is, is who's been established. And again, I like Brad Pitt's character. I love the little, the little filmmaking things of he's a stunt man. So there's these scars. His body has been banged up, man. Uh, I love that they, he apparently killed his wife and they just do that that and he's on the scuba boat and she's just i don't know if that's like well a, we don't uh, know if he killed his wife he right. could have hit a choppy wave and the spear gun could have gone off right we, we, don't, we never see it happen yeah. never see it happen because right now that is a huge contentious thing with the people who don't like the movie right uh as i said they're viewing it through the prism of 2019 they go oh we just make a movie now where a guy kills his wife and he's a hero and it's funny and i'm like no we just make a movie yeah that's all i, I, his wife. I didn't i certainly didn't see him as a hero I, I'm, yeah. but I'm just talking about yeah. like the the wave of we we talked in the in the initial episode. You said there are right. people who fucking love it and there are yeah. people who fucking hate exactly. it. Exactly, the people who hate it are all I think viewing it through the prism of now that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Which with that. is yeah. a problem with a lot of art right now. Yeah, you got to take art for you know you you can't impose <laughs> all of these artificial um, viewpoints onto art. You have to let right. art speak for itself and then judge it on its own merits. You can't just add all of these external things to it. Uh, and judge it from you know your perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean the de- the depiction of you know I kept trying to go like who is Leonardo DiCaprio supposed to be like which who which actual hero like TV star is he modeled after? Oh uh, well, from what I've heard, uh, DiCaprio is Burt Reynolds and Cliff Booth is Hal, Hal Needham. Mm. Oh, interesting. So okay. that is who, you know, because Tarantino was super close to Hal Needham. He actually gave Hal Needham, uh, a, I, I forget, it was a Lifetime Achievement Award. I forget what the, the, the function was. But he was very close with Hal Needham. Mm-hmm. And a lot, so a lot of people feel that this is his viewing of, you know, because Burt Reynolds was on television and stuff. And, and some people, like, they thought it was Eastwood because of the Spaghetti Western thing. But because and also he was on... A western. He's on rawhide, and then he wound up making the spaghetti. That's Westerns. what I thought too, because I was like, "That, so, yeah. that is that." That's is the e- two different interpretations. It, it's really interesting now, as we're talking about how all of this is kind of coming together, where every single part of this film, from the characters to the real life counterparts, is skewed in a slightly different way. Especially now with the ending, it makes kind of even makes a little more sense. Uh huh. Because, like you know, the the portrayals of not only like Steve McQueen, the Playboy Mansion, the um, and uh, Bruce Lee. 
they looked just like these people. It was almost all. The Bruce Lee guy sounded oh my exactly yeah. like Bruce like, Lee. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I at was first like, you're thinking, well, is this some kind of CG weird hologram no. thing? And, and that's the first part of the mm. movie that sings. Mm. That's the first part of the movie where, where you you feel crackling excitement within mm-hmm. the film. I mean, certainly in the beginning, we get a lot of the Bonnie Law, we get the him driving and all those things. But when Cliff gets the job and we get that little cutaway to, you know, because it's, it's Pitt's up, you know, initially Pitt takes his shirt up, he's up there. And by the way, it's funny that McQueen is in this movie and he's only in it for like fucking 20 right. seconds mm-hmm. because this Cliff Booth, that's the role McQueen plays in this movie if they make it in 1969. Right, I mean, that's, absolutely. It's, it's, the, it's absolutely. the McQueen role. It's yeah. phenomenal. Um, and when Pitt, so when Pitt has the flashback, Mm-hmm. to when he meets Kurt mm-hmm. Russell and is he going to give him the job on the Green Hornet yeah. and then they, they kills his wife and there's the flashback within the flashback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, and so that whole, that sequence there, that's Tarantino, buddy. That, that is mm-hmm. the fucking on the set when Pitt drinking milk and then says, hey, I thought that was shit with some shit you dancers came up with so you wouldn't have to fucking be in a real fight. I mean, like, oh, dude, <laughs> the whole, even, because we all know who Bruce Lee is. Right. So the whole theater, when I saw it, they all just like, oh, like, you know, it's this palpable thing. It's, it's great. great. And then I feel like you, because you were saying that Bruce Lee gets his ass kicked. Yeah. I think he doesn't take Cliff Booth seriously at all. And when he knocks him down with a flying kick, he's just like, this guy's a fucking joke. And that's why he's like, all right, Cato, try that again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he tries the same flying kick, like whatever, dude. Well, the thing that was great about that scene was he said, if you, I'll beat you two two out of three times. They only did two. Yeah. 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 He got knocked down once. Bruce Lee got thrown Mm -hmm. into a car. Yeah. And I love when he threw him into the car and dented it. I was like, oh. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, another great, again, because Brad Pitt is is just phenomenal. Um, he's never mad. No. That scene. He's hit to him. It's fun. He's yeah. like, this is all right. When he throws him into the way, I threw you in. I think that debt in the cars is a whole other fucking story. Just like, yeah. it's just genius. He's he's relishing every moment of it. If you're Cliff a stuntman yeah. and that's your life, of course you'd be loving yeah. every minute of that. Absolutely. Loved you it. you uh you know, you live for a tussle or a scrap or a but boy, uh, yeah, but, or but getting imagine, thrown off of a building or whatever. But I talked about this in the previous episode. Im- imagine if the the manslaughter line isn't in the trailer. It blows the theater up. If if literally yeah. if he goes, if I kill right. you, we I go to jail. He goes, kill anybody in a fight, you go to jail. It's called manslaughter. If, yeah. if, if, yeah. if that just plays in the movie and you don't see it in the trailer, you go crazy because it's, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. perfect line. It's a, a home run. Line. Yeah. And then, and then it's a home run when he gets up, when he makes that face kind of like... There's a great thing that Tarantino does understand this. He understands macho, masculinity, toughness, that kind of thing, and and also subdued versions of it. Like there's a great my, my favorite scene, my favorite part of Hateful Eight is Madsen. Michael Madsen has that seething kind of thing that Tarantino's always recognized. Madsen's sitting down, he's writing. Kurt Russell comes in and he's big swinging his dick around the entire fucking cabin. I'm the rootinest tootinest. He's doing the Yosemite Sem act. Mm-hmm. And he looks over to Madsen. Madsen's just writing. And Madsen looks up and just kind of smirks at him. Yeah. And he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm writing my autobiography. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell goes, am I in it? And Madsen just smiles. He just goes, you just entered. <laughs> and it's, it's my, he's not intimidated by him. He's not worried by him. And it's it's that seething, I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And Cliff Booth has that in this fucking scene. When he, just, when he says, you know, hey, two out of three, let's do it. And he just goes... <laughs> and he gets up and he starts taking yeah. his jacket off he, he takes the fucking wig off yeah. he's right. so happy yeah, yeah. I, I, and again that that's what that speaks to me and has spoken to me in all of his films that macho undercurrent and in Kill Bill it was flipped on its head because it was a woman who had that fucking right. macho thing and it's just but it's always there that tough guy that masculinity that, macho at the beginning of that scene when he goes well I don't want any trouble uh, like of course you my- want trouble that's exactly <laughs> what you want that's the opposite of what yes. you want yeah <laughs> he can't wait for yeah, trouble yeah so <laughs> here's the thing there's so many moments like that in the movie that I like that I compare to other moments like 
when in Kill Bill, when Beatrix Kiddo um, goes to uh, Okinawa and she's playing dumb tourist to uh, Hattori Hanzo. Yep. And he's playing, I'm just a sushi guy. Yeah. And they're playing this little, this little thing. And then... And he's like, Konnichiwa. And he's yelling at the Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown! And, you yeah, know, yeah. like, that thing was all great. It was funny. But then it was like, they were both playing a game. And then she's like, this is why I'm here. And then he yeah. changes. You hear the Charlie Brown drop something in the background. And that was not a wasted. It was an intentional purpose. One, to show Hitori Hanzo made a vow. I'm never making this weapon of death again. And she's like, mm, actually, you train this cat, you owe me. And he understands. Like it was so, it was so beautifully sure. woven. And there's some little scenes like that. But the problem I had with this movie is all that's leading up to this fictitious ending where the 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 Tates and everybody don't die. And then the graphic violence. Just I was like, first of all, I've seen this fight scene in Kill Bill. I I was like, I've seen this. I've seen this graphic violent fight scene. But not with a dog. Yeah, I mean the dog thing where he just okay, great, and then the flame. Don't, you can't okay, great that. Do not dismiss that with just okay, great. It's set up an hour and twenty minutes before that with the fucking dog drooling because he's not allowed to eat until he does the fucking noise. It's set up your and, and and you think it's a cute interplay with him and the dog, and then he's feeding the dog there in the thing, and the dog's waiting to eat. The dog's starving, and then the they fucking burst in at the exact wrong time. And just the fucking head move. It's gorgeous. It's it's it's. A perfect callback. You're waiting. You're, you don't because you don't see it coming. Sure, but but in the, <laughs> but in the context of this, I'm like, you set this up, and Quentin. There's no way on this earth Quentin Tarantino didn't have approval of his trailer. So you set this trailer up. You can't say the studio cut this. You set this trailer up, telling me this is all about Manson family, and oh my God, we're gonna kind of see a. Uh, who was involved in the Manson or whatever, like people around there. And there's this one fictional guy that's obviously supposed to be Burt Reynolds or, or, or uh, Eastwood or whatever. And then you just go into this when he's, when he's beating that girl's head around and she's, and then I, I've seen that fight and I'm just like, all of I'm, this two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes to just go, Oh, wouldn't it be great if, if the Manson, if the, if the hippies got murdered instead I just—that's uh, a long. You, you. Uh, it's. I felt like he was smoking reductive. weed. I just think that's so reductive. To, to, we I, don't agree, Mike. You have to accept the fact that I am not going to change my mind on this because and, I, it, he made he did which not is make fine, a good but movie. But I can also argue my fucking point. No, I, I totally no, hear what you're saying. I'm out. Shitty movie. Uh, <laughs> I I hear what you're saying because, dude, I I I I'm mad. I saw the trailer. The trailer gives me a completely different idea, and that's why it it, it colors my first viewing of the movie. There's no doubt. When I watch it, I'm waiting for different things. And I mean, I even the. I think the trailer would have been better served by avoiding the Manson stuff completely. Well, but like we all it. know it's the Manson. I think it's Sharon Tate is in the movie, right, so you know right. that that's going to happen. But, but they spend so much time when he go when he goes to the ranch. All that time, all, uh, why won't you show me uh, Shaw? I want to see Shaw. I want to yeah. see Shaw. And then just that 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 no scene doubt. in the bed with fucking no doubt. Bruce Dern. I'm like, that was a waste of my time. All no. this great tension. All the great tension is great. It doesn't pay off. I agree with you. But then he, he and then gives Charlie that, was in Santa Barbara. Uh, he was, and yeah. then they give you the epilogue payoff where he he makes the guy fix the tire, so you still get your cathartic thing out of it. Um, and then you don't get the text confrontation because text is run is late. But there's no doubt, dude. There's no doubt the Bruce Dern thing is a fizzle. You're just like 
this is really yeah he makes a john wilkes booth thing or whatever the fuck like because right. you want to if you really want to speak to this i didn't think he was going to be in there the way they were setting it up is that he was either dead, dead or they were of course gone. yeah and then it's just bruce dern being but, bruce derny and i'm just like but that, you, you know but who that's that was supposed to be problem that was supposed to be uh, Burt Reynolds before yeah. he died. And then he died. That was yeah. Burt Reynolds' role. And mm-hmm. then he gave it to Dern. Mm-hmm. But but again, but I will say this. I, I said something about how you know Tarantino's not a nostalgic filmmaker. He's a filmmaker who makes his own nostalgia. And so he will bring you a Robert Forster. He brings a Travolta back. He had a Michael Parks for the longest time as part of it. Because that, that probably would have been a Michael Parks role if mm-hmm. you know Reynolds had, had, if he was still alive too. Mm-hmm. But the problem is... Pacino doesn't belong in this fucking movie. There's no reason for Pacino to be that agent guy. Bring me, give me, get me a guy from the 70s. Get me a guy I haven't seen in fucking forever. Get me a guy who is in one of those old 50s westerns or something like that. There's no reason for Dern to be in this movie either well, because he does nothing. It doesn't pay off. And I, I, I don't Pacino think Pacino Darn... playing a, uh, a Jewish agent, I'm like, mm, it's a little weird. It just, it yeah. just, but he doesn't, there's and nothing Pacino that doing a big Pacino character. Yeah. Versus, again, like Kill Bill, and I forget the actor's name, who plays the sheriff and then Michael also, Parks, so I just yeah. said. That guy, again, because you're like, who is this dude? Where yeah. have I seen him? But, and that's what I mean. He died. So otherwise, he's perfect for the Dern role. You know what I mean? Because he's also in, in Tarantino's The Gang, which is as he put in the credits. Mm. By the way, Matson's in this movie, not in the credits. Oh, yeah. yeah not even in The Gang, mm-hmm. not even in the listing of the credits. It was bananas. I was like, that's it. Because I looked at Even Tim name. Roth got in the credits. He wasn't in the movie. That's what I mean. He gets mm. cut out. Yeah. He just put cut. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But Madsen's in the movie, and he's not in the credits anywhere. Um so, so I I agree with you that the Dern scene absolutely fizzles because it builds up this and because up until then, first of all, I don't even know who Margaret Qualley is, but I I want to give her all of my money forever because is she the, the one who played the girl, she's pussycat, oh. who he picks up at the fucking thing. Oh, How sexy yeah, yeah. and fucking and great and 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 you can see she's so disappointed because she thinks that he's perfect for the family. He's like Charlie's right, gonna love right. him. She really means that. She's not mm-hmm. trying to bamboozle him. And then she, he kind of betrays her. And then there's this whole sub thing too. Let's let's get into this. By the way, I'll say this. That was, again, it was a great showing, oh, the family's nuts. And this is how really creepy they are, knowing historically how creepy they were. When he's, oh, hey, oh, cute girl on the ranch. And then he's like, this ain't right. Yeah, It's like, oh, this is awesome. And then there's no payoff. I'm like, what is the purpose of this? Not only is there no payoff there, but I, and I, I think this was a conscious choice that he made as well. Um, we see how incredibly creepy and weird they are on Spawn Ranch, okay? But their whole approach to the fucking final murders is fucking Three Stooges. I know. He, he, because we've all, because, and I think, but I think this is done on purpose. The Manson family is this, because again, the, just the name, the Manson family inspires dread. It is this, holy shit, there's this legacy of murder and, the, and death. And they weren't trained killers. These were, no, you know, they, just basically... No, they fell under the sway of a guy. Sway. Yeah, they're basically brainwashed. They did a lot, uh, and they did a lot yeah. of LSD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they did and terrible uh-huh. things. They, they, they came to do the devil's business. That's right. all real stuff. But then... I think he purposely neuters them in the movie to make them not scary anymore. Like I think it's a choice he makes because that one girl flees in the car and then yeah. and uh, in a in a chicken shit way. And that one girl, it, I, I don't know how that even stayed in the movie. The the cut of her giving the we've been taught to murder by people's TV. So oh yeah, the speech. Yeah. Well, but, well uh, it's delivered so fucking bad. I, I mean, where she's just like, okay, man, I've been thinking, and I'm like. That got through your mm-hmm. cut? I mean, because it's awful. It's a really over-the-top, weird delivery of what you would think a hippie would sound like. Mm-hmm. And that's why I went, is this 
So now is he purposely making them less scary? Like, because Tex Watson, again, that's a scary fucking name. The Manson family, scary. They were always these boogeymen. And in this movie, you see him, he's physically shaking. I'm surprised he didn't piss himself when he confronts fucking Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we see they all get fucking massacred. Right. And they don't even put up a fucking fight, essentially. So it's like he's he strips the Manson family of all their mystique to show them for what they were. A bunch of fucking barefoot, dirty fucking hippies who, if they'd run into the wrong fucking people, they would have never been infamous. Right. And I, I think that's a choice that he made. You know, I... I and also the gullibility of like yeah. being taken in by ultimately a cult leader. But also there's that theme, and, and which is, again, I, I just said you can't view the movie through the prism of today. But this weird thing where it's almost like it's, he's relitigating the late 60s and thinking, hey, were the hippies wrong? Because we, how many times we hear dirty hippies, filthy hippies, fucking hippies... And they're the, they're the, they're inevitably, they're the villains in the movie and the straight, you know, which is also a commentary on the fact that, you know, black and white always win, you know, the black and white shows good and evil, good wins, evil loses. You're the heavy. You're yes. going to, you're going to lose. All today. that theme runs throughout yeah. and it's rampant. Yes. And at the end it's flipped on its face because who we consider the heavies, the conservatives, the boozers, the fucking, uh, man, this, these hippie dick bags. Cause we've been taught forever that the hippies are counterculture and they changed everything. And his way to look at it here is, well, was that a good thing? Well, it's what a, if the hippies instead got were defeated essentially? You know what I mean? As if they and and he makes the conservative guys the winner. Even the cops, they're laughing with cops and firemen. The devil's business or devil shit or whatever. <laughs> they're laughing at hippies at countercultury. Well, they. I mean, this movie. I mean, it, it's a reinterpretation of a moment in time. Yeah. Really, when you look at it, but also. What's really important about it is this was a very important moment in time culturally. After these murders, Hollywood changed, the country changed, the way we looked at hippies in the '60s all changed when when this thing when these things happened. So I think it's interesting to see a, a reimagining and a reinterpretation of those events because now with his events where you know the the hippies basically were stopped from doing these horrible murders, how would the culture in the country change? Would we have seen more? Uh, Sharon Tate movies like what like in this universe mm -hmm. what happened what happens next right. after this does Roman Polanski's kid does Roman Polanski not get drug and hot drunk and high and mm -hmm. and and rape a, a teenage yeah. girl you know what I mean does yeah. that what happens in this unit in this alternate universe this earth too yeah you know? I mean like <laughs> and I think he very clearly wants that to be the discussion mm -hmm. you know uh, the thing is too the thing is uh, like what this the actual Manson family did is it showed this like all the hippies are like no we're all not the same there's some of us that are all about peace and love and the radicals went too far I mean there was the I mean the early hippies were actually radicals and they wanted to invoke change and then and this is this is a lot of it was by design then they, a lot of drugs got infused in it to make it more about just this this, this love and sex the lifestyle know? the lifestyle mm -hmm. so you gotta understand so there's all these separate free tracks. love free love mm -hmm. you know just tune in free tune out you know what good. i mean that whole mm -hmm. thing i mean mm -hmm. woodstock happened this summer yes summer of 69 mm -hmm. yeah woodstock was free and love and mm -hmm. hey man everyone's cool and working and together never happened again it never happened again <laughs> that, and then that way, anyway and, and that then theme this is, happened right and that theme is prevalent in this movie in that you know dicaprio is clearly the straight-laced conservative uh, he's the old generation. And then there's the hippies, the filthy, dirty Manson family and dumpster diving and dirty feet and all that. Mm -hmm. And then you got Cliff Booth, who's comfortable in both worlds. He doesn't even know um, what he wants at, right, at one point. Until he's not. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then, because then when he's confronted with the actual hippies mm -hmm. and stuff at Spawn mm -hmm. Ranch, 
he he reverts to being, uh, hey, I worked here eight years ago and I know George and he's a friend and you guys mm-hmm. are taking advantage. Like he's he's the moral center of the film, but he's in the center of the Venn diagram of the hippies and the conservatives. Like right. Cliff Booth is just, you know, he he lives his own moral code. He might've killed his wife. He's a war hero. He's mm-hmm. all these different things. And I think he is us. That's who we're supposed to identify with in the movie, you know, cause DiCaprio, he didn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's a drunk. And also there's, cause there's another great line. DiCaprio's drinking and he goes, my booze don't need nobody. So the older squares were just booze, no drugs, no thanks. And it's also, but uh, Pitt buys the LSD cigarette. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, Why not, man? We'll see how that goes. I'll save, you it, know? I'll save it for later. Yeah. And, and, also, I mean, and also too, DiCaprio's character is portrayed as this tough guy, but he's crying. He's an yeah. insecure yeah. actor. And it also, what I do love about it is even back then it shows how fragile these careers all were. Sure. Like, you know, every, a couple of mistakes and you know, you go to the back of the line again and, it also showed, which is interesting, that, you know, it's hard to imagine now that, uh, um, you know, TV was like the, you know, like the 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 medium that the film actors would, like, look down upon. Oh, now, sure. I mean, now oh, we're, in, yeah. the, we're, now got, we're in a golden age of you're television. You're stuck in TV now. Yeah. That was the, that yeah. was the thinking mm-hmm. into the 90s. Yeah. And that's yeah. why the mm-hmm. speech by Pacino, whether he belongs in the movie or not, is mm-hmm. so great. It's, it's reminiscent of the this is how Superman sees us speech that Carradine gives in Kill Bill 2. Mm-hmm. Hey man, the heavy gets his ass beat every week. Like who's going to beat you next week? The man from Uncle, yeah. the girl from Uncle, mm-hmm. Batman. Bam, zoom, mm-hmm. and he's laughing in DiCaprio's face. But he's trying to get him to understand. Hey man, there's another world of opportunity out yeah. there. But it, he brings him and DiCaprio, of course, because he's been conditioned to think TV is is that's you know he's fine with it. That's where he made his bones. He can't go to Italy and leave America and go make movies over there. That's garbage. Why would I fucking do that? So he just hears he's a has-been. His career's yeah. over. And I love how they like marginalize like Sergio Leone. I'm like, oh, that hack over in Italy. Yep. Sergio Leone, like, yeah. he's terrible. You can't be in one of his movies. They're, they're other just their uh, cookie Well, it shows a lot nonsense. of things, the, the historical reference point of that's probably what those movies were looked at back then. Sure. And then they became masterpieces. It was like people right. told, told Shatner he was a, you know, a Shakespearean actor out of Canada you sure you want to do sci-fi? That's the end of the road, buddy. Sci-fi yeah. is the end of the road. He did mm-hmm. a TV series for three seasons. It got canceled. It's like, we told you. Yeah. Now you're just known as this joke guy doing mm-hmm. this Kirk thing. Where are you going to go from here, Where are you going to go Shatner? from here, you know? <laughs> and so all that stuff is interesting. But as later. you said in the regular episode, Mike, it's an hour and 45 minutes of interesting. Mm-hmm. There's another hour that I don't need. And then I at the ending. But I'm, that's me and you. I'm willing to give a guy whose work I've admired forever and, and, and I consider a revolutionary in this business, in this industry, and in the way I look at this medium, I'm giving him that other hour to I, live I, in. I got to tell you, normally, with it. normally I don't have the patience for that second hour. I'm the first one to say something is too long or like this could have been good. But this is the one exception where I like I just kind of let the whole thing wash over me and the length didn't bother me. But I have to say it's more the exception to the rule for me. And I agree because I said the Mm -hmm. first time, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, Go ahead. What what I was going to say is normally iconic filmmakers like this, I'll say, look, even when they swing and miss, I like it. It's interesting. This felt arrogant and didn't care about its audience. It felt Mm -hmm. like I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want because I'm Tarantino. And but he's that element is in all of his films. It's just it didn't land this time because I, I look. I'm not going to argue again. Uh, I don't need another camera angle that starts at somebody's ankles. I don't. I understand. <laughs> I don't need a camera in the backseat of every fucking car. I don't. I get it. 
And some of it, like I said, played. He steers completely into the skid of the foot fetish thing. We, we, I understand where well, everything you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with. I, I think the, the the one I can explain. The one I can't. The uh, foot fetish, no. But the the camera in the back seat of every car was to put the viewer into the period that this was being shot. I really felt like that was that but was. But by the sixth car or whatever, yeah. I don't. I just don't need it. I, I I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. He he wanted to make sure that the audience was a passenger in every single car, and that's why he put it in every single. And one. that's weird filmmaking trick. Yeah. To, it to is. me, that that's like you talk about his angles and his creativity and stuff. That's because if you go to it three times in within a half hour, right, in three different vehicles and stuff. It's I just agree. Like, I'm right, done I, after that. I'm like, no, I, like I got a, it. Right? It feels I don't like a different approach versus. I want to do this really in, in, in interesting thing. I want to tell the story my way versus I'm Tarantino. I can do whatever I want. Boy, I, are you clouded by your, how you feel about him? Maybe. Cause I have another, we have another mutual friend who literally texted me and he's like, this was just, I'm so cool and I can do Tarantino things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, because it, the, the things didn't connect. There was too many s- scenes that were interesting there but then there was all these other things that didn't connect in the past he takes his time and 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 go very methodically and it's for a it's for a bigger purpose where this these didn't connect for me it was just like oh here's a long shot because i put in long shots like i feel like i've and i've seen other filmmakers do this and i feel like he he is running out of tricks and so he's he's leaning in the same ones i and again i can't stress enough i Especially upon the second viewing, I love this movie. Mm. But I recognize it, it's flawed because I've I've run into a bit of a thing now. Certainly for me, getting older, because I, I I loved Mandy. All right, if we're going to talk about something, I loved the movie Mandy, and I told everybody, and I but I prefaced it. I go, look, you're probably going to hate it. Like you may not enjoy it, but for me, it was a wheelhouse movie. Yeah. I fucking loved it. Again, swing for the fucking fences. And then I have heard nothing but an avalanche of Jesus that sucked. I couldn't even get through it. It was terrible. And I'm like. That's fine. And I laugh. I and felt I like go, I was watching. I told you. I felt like I was watching Night Gallery. For Mandy? No, for, for this movie. Oh, for this movie? I, 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 I can see what you're saying. I and I, like, again, because there are things that are of a piece that you take them out. Absolutely. There's, dude, the transition, dude, dude, the transition into the third act when they come back from Italy. I don't care for the narrator. All right. I understand that to me is a trick that I don't know why he's fucking using it. And he didn't use it through the whole movie. Like it all, it just kind of appeared. But he's been doing that. And then Hank Filet also, a narrator fucking pops up at the end of the goddamn intermission. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I didn't think that was necessary either. But at least he didn't use his own fucking voice this time. He at least used Kurt Russell, which is also a weird trick because he's in the fucking movie. Yeah. But, uh, so are you, then you're like, is it, is this the stunt guy from Green Hornet doing the narration now? Why are you doing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just, he doesn't, but he just, he's to your point, he's going to do what the fuck he wants. And and uh, but I'm cool with that. I will let him do what he wants. But that transition when they use "Out of Time" by the Stones when they're coming back on the plane from Italy, and and the music it just it's and it gets you to the El Coyote. It's it's so gorgeous. It's just so that's a five minute gorgeous fucking chunk where they're you know he's pondering in first class. He's pondering in in coach. Uh, Sharon is pregnant. I I read some people had some real problems with. Uh, the narration, like at El Coyote, when he said she was feeling especially warm and pregnant in all the worst ways. And there are people who are like, how do you know that? Why is he making that presumption? Why? Would, and it's like, dude, because this is his interpretation of the fucking movie and the, and, and the world. That's why. You either live with it or you don't. And that's... that's well, there's a little bit of trivia there, too. As the Tate party enters the El Coyote restaurant, still there, by the way, and horrible food, by the way. <laughs> and uh, Those Sharon, green tamales Sharon, are good. Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring discuss... A movie premiere they can see taking place further down Beverly Boulevard, an erotic movie theater. They have premieres for dirty movies, asked Sharon, 
The theater is the Eros, a real adult theater at the time. The building still exists, but is now the cinema called the New Beverly, which is owned by which he owns. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. When I first moved here, I used to go to the New Beverly almost. all the time. It was the, the greatest thing to Double see. Double features, horrible, uh, uncomfortable seats, but you didn't care. You didn't care, and you saw all these amazing movies on the big screen for the first. Some of them were movies I had already seen on VHS, mm-hmm. but I, I was like, I got to see it on the big screen. I saw Serpico there, and th- I, this is and this is why I give him all the rope to hang me off a cliff man the guy loves movies he loves movie making and and if he's indulgent huh remember in swingers when uh um they had like there was the new beverly schedule was on every bridge (laughs) it's 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 this was his version this was his of a 70s sprawling like even to the point where out of time which i've just talked about with the by the stones that's the song over the closing credits of coming home Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and, and I, cause, and I forever associate it with, cause that, and Dern's in that, you know, Dern, that, that last half hour of coming home, you want to ruin your life. Watch the last half hour of coming mm-hmm. home. Jesus Christ. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. But again, I hear that song and it brings me to that era. It brings me to, you know, to 78, even though this is 69, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm back in 78. It's coming home and there's Dern and I see Dern. And I, I mean, it was a great soundtrack too. Oh my God. All it's, the way it's, through. It's, and it's, if you listen to it, if you sit, cause I've been, that's all I've been listening to for three days. And it's, mm-hmm. it's. Because I will tell you this, the t- Mrs. Robinson is in it too, which yeah. is The Graduate. That's 67. Yep. That brings me right fucking there. But it's in, it's playing on the AM radio when he's driving, and that's when he sees the girl at the bus stop. And, but I went there, and, and again, this is just an inside for anybody. There's When Pitt finally gets to talk to the hitchhiker, mm-hmm. and he goes, you sit, on Bever- you sit on Burbank Boulevard this whole day trying to get tourists to take you up and down to Spawn Ranch. And then... Uh, he then leaves Burbank Boulevard and gets on the 101 at Hollywood. And you're just like, all right, well, that's not exactly really, not even equidistant from one another for fuck's sake. (laughs) Um, But, but he is filming that on Burbank Boulevard because in the background is a bar that uh, clearly there's a bar on Burbank Boulevard that I recognized. Um, No one was slipping through an old Thomas guide. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then sure enough, he gets on the 101 at at, uh, Hollywood by the Hollywood Adventist. It made me laugh. But, but Los Angeles looks so beautiful in this movie. It just, it, it's, that's where the nostalgia kicks in. It's a love letter to a place and a time. Yeah. You know, and a time that he wishes he could have experienced. He'll give you some bullshit, but he was six years old. He doesn't remember the fucking No, of course murders. not. I mean, and it goes like, oh, Musso and Franks, like stuff like that. Yeah. Like, if people, you know, because we've been around he here ma- for so he long. He made sure to have the scene with Pacino on the phone and in the background when he did the flambe, you yeah, know, to yeah. make sure you got to catch that if you're going to mm-hmm. do Musso and Franks. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, All right. Any, um, as any... a filmmaker, I just, mm-hmm. I, again, you are both filmmakers. And uh, I, I think, Chris, you're giving it more, you were willing to indulge and, and, and let it wash over you in a way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you Despite wanted cleaner flaws. storytelling. Yeah, you wanted, because, and I, and I, I get that. And I feel mm-hmm. like anytime I, as the audience, feel like I'm being taken adva- granted, like, sure. mm-hmm. I'm great. I, you, you'll just have to listen to this. It's like watching some musician on stage being an asshole and you're like, man, I don't care how many fucking gold records you have. Dude, I hear you. I mean, there's that the scene where, again, the narrator is giving the speech about the Italian Westerns and you get... We get all the fun posters of the Italian mm-hmm. westerns that he made, but then he also discusses the Tower of Babel, uh, where everybody spoke their own. And I'm like, nobody gives a fuck about that in Iowa, dude. Nobody gives a shit about the Tower of Babel f- way to make films in Italian, yeah. where everybody spoke their own language. But but it made me laugh. I was just, and also because there's that even like again that scene with the little girl when he first meets her, and then and then he's he's on the verge of falling apart any moment because he realizes his career is almost over and then he's reading the book and then he relates it and we all get it. Even the eight-year-old isn't really picking it up until he starts crying and then she gets it. Um, And then that's Tarantino speaking through the DiCaprio character, in my opinion, of 
the fading of masculinity, the fading of of feeling useless mm-hmm. and letting it go day by day. I, and it might even be a commentary on how he felt in writing and making this movie. Maybe he doesn't have the chops he had with Pulp Fiction and he had to work. It's, maybe that's the reason this took five fucking years. Or, yeah, you, you, know, f- you feel as you get older. He used to be able to bang something out. Yeah, as you get older, you feel less and less relevant yeah. as an artist. And he's he's got to be thinking, because but because I will tell you this, man, if you, I just read, he, he did a thing, I think it was about Viva Zapata. I forget, he writes for the New Beverly site. And I read it and I'm like, this is his life. If he ever stops just making films, just write these treatises, these long fucking blogs about these movies that he loves because you can see how clearly he loves them. Mm-hmm. And I think to make something like this shows, you say laziness or indulgence, and I felt that the first time I saw it. But then the second time I saw it, I went, this guy loves this. Why would, I've often said, if you're a rock star, why would you ever quit? People always beef, they're like cheap tricks at the local fair. Ha ha, cheap tricks playing Summerfest or Ribfest. Well, yeah, but they're still making $10,000 for an hour and 15 minutes of work. And then they go to the next town and you're a rock star. Why would you ever quit? If you're Tarantino. And they still love it. Right? Mm -hmm. And he loves movies and he loves movie making. And it might be a harder process for him now. And he might not have the, you know, he's the lion and winner. He doesn't edit like he used to. He He doesn't bang, bang it. It's not as slick. But he's, he... But then also he probably feels that he has every idea is a good one and he just fucking jam packs the shit out of a movie that's two hour and 40 minutes that could be two hours. Clearly, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, also as a director, there's not that many directors that can get multiple A-list actors in one movie the way he can. It's people want, they line up, mm. they want to do it. And even, because I will, look, I'll say this too. For me, this is a dirty secret. Um, I, I don't fucking know why Sharon Tate's in this movie. I get it. It's because you wanted to frame it with the Manson murders. And he also, he himself felt it was important to reframe her in the, in the way everybody saw her as a fresh faced, brilliant starlet who had so much potential instead of just being known as a footnote in the Manson murders. Well, that's part of the thing too, is like he brings up the opening party at the Playboy mansion. He does this thing of there's Michelle Williams and all these key people. So he's trying to say, oh, this is a real, yeah. this is the time. And then Mama frame. Cass runs up. Yeah, Mama you know. Cass runs up. There's Steve McQueen. They, and Steve McQueen talking shit. Oh, hilarious. And he gives yeah. the storyline of... J.C. Bring and, yeah. and the, the three-way. Polanski, Sebring, mm-hmm. and Tate. Yeah, and it's like, okay, cool. And then... And then we leave. We're at the, we're at the Playboy Mansion for four minutes, if that. And all, and all of it's a dance scene. They're dancing. We only get McQueen mm-hmm. talking to who I thought was Joey Heatherton, but was never identified. Um... And also, I, I'll tell you this. This is I thought this when he says when she says Sharon Tate has a type, uh, brilliant, smart little boys who brilliant, smart men who look like twelve year old boys. Yeah, and I I was waiting. I, that's on a T for an Ali McGraw joke. I'm like, how the fuck is McQueen not doing an Ali McGraw joke? I know. Hey, you know, like a yeah. Well, there's some appeal to that. You know what I mean? Like if you know because you know the history, you know Ali McGraw. You're like. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about someone who dated someone who looked like twelve year old boys? McQueen and Ali McGraw, boom. Um, and then, but then McQueen gets the line that you know I never had a chance. Like he wanted to rail Sharon Tate, and you're like, right. all right, yeah. But I, I still think the McGraw line would be more interesting. But, but you're right. I, if you're going to the Playboy Mansion, give me an, a whole fucking interlude. Give me ten minutes there, or yeah. fifteen, where you're talking to people, or you know, because Mama Cass isn't even identified. I think she calls her Mama when she runs up and hugs right. her. It's mm-hmm. obvious you saw her. I was like, oh, there's Mama Cass. Yeah, yeah. I, I just. I, I am not arguing with your point because the first time I saw it, I have to, I walked out and I, I told people, I go, it's really good, but man, I got issues with it. And I did. But then the second time I see it, I'm, I, I enjoy what he's done enough and I trust him enough and I, and I'm, I'm willing to recognize, oh my time. goodness. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think he didn't do it to be, I'm cool. I'm this, I'm that. 
he loves what he does and and maybe he can't control it and he puts out two hours and 40 minutes instead because again we don't need a whole lancer we don't need him eating it you know i mean we, we get it with the chicken leg the affectation and then the beans and the jim stacy and then going to one but he loves making films and showing you how they're made so they go to one they move the camera all the way behind jim stacy we see him running lines with an old school tape recorder in the pool and then in the fuck and mad at himself mm-hmm. because he has to call for they show you how tv works line and it's because yeah. it was being uh, filmed to tape back then yeah. you, you, you're you're learning mm-hmm. in addition to experiencing it he's bringing you what he loves and he's showing you this and this and this for me so. i i i the second time around, like I said, the first time around, I really dug it, but I was also like, man, I got a ton of issues with this mm-hmm. and I, and all of them are what you have. But then the second time I saw it, I went, I, I'm, this was his sprawling seventies movie. He didn't get to make. All right. I'm not Gents. giving him another two and a half. Five. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, before we forget, I'm turning 50 on Monday, he doesn't get another <laughs> fucking three hours of my life. We, um, uh, happy pre-birthday Thanks. by the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, we have some uh, Patreon sponsors for this episode. Don't want to forget them before we finish. Um, Mike, would you care to do a couple of them again? I'd love to. Are they uh, the ones from uh, the... From, yep. They okay. are remarkably similar. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll re- how about if I read the ones that uh, I didn't get to read the last time? Done. All right. Johnny Rulon, he's promoting his novel titled Green Cheek, A Junkie's Guide to Street Magic, and it is available on Amazon in both digital form and hard copy. It is an experimental stream of consciousness novel which follows the exploits of the muse Calliope and her immortal lover T.S. They're on a journey through time, dreams, and the hidden places of a supernatural America. The website is happyhorrorshowproductions.com. That's happyhorrorshowproductions.com. Fanboy Planet, a website and podcast for all things geeky and amazing. Check out Fanboy Planet for your comics news, Movie news, TV news, and amazing interviews with industry insiders and artists. Fanboyplanet.com. And from Chris Parker Howard, Coffee Over Suicide, a dramedy podcast about mental illness and choosing life over death, one cup of coffee at a time. New episodes every Friday, wherever podcasts are found. Find out more at coffeeoversuicide.com. Our good friend, the immensely talented Alice Fraser, co-host of the Bugle podcast, host of Tea with Alice podcast, brings you a series of three genre-bending solo stand-up shows that explore the boundary between comedy and tragedy. The shows were recorded back-to-back as a three-hour show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April 2018, and she used a binaural microphone, which creates an intensely immersive listening experience. Find out more at alicefraser.com. That's with an S, alicefraser.com. And the Art Podcast with Rebecca Evans. When we move past hesitation and we're true to ourselves, we'll find our own art in life. New episode with artist Mickey Caputo. Uh, the Art Podcasts with an S. Theartpodcasts.com. Aussie Noir. I can take this one. Why not? No, take it. I did it last time, too. I'm happy to do it. No, I didn't. You did. Aussie Noir. <laughs> the murder of Jeremy Brooks. The police say it was a mugging gone bad. She thinks it was a targeted attack. More info at TonyMcFadden.net slash JB. TonyMcFadden.net slash JB. Tony Mac. Boom. Thank you so much, Patreon uh, supporters. We appreciate it very, very much. You want your ad read? 50 beans? Oh, get it done. Every episode for the month. So uh, any closing thoughts? <laughs> I'm laughing because <laughs> there's a monitor in here that you guys don't know about on the wall. And we have the Manson Wikipedia page up. And it's got that headshot of Manson that we always see the and with the crazy eyes and Graham's been staring at it for like the all through the, the plugs he literally was staring the whole time and I'm like oh no he's falling sway oh that's not good uh but yeah I uh, final thoughts I 
Um, you know my final thoughts. There's no reason. I, mean, I, I literally, I, I was talking to Bobby G. We were texting back and forth, and he thinks Pulp and Dogs are like his his mm-hmm. masterpieces. And I said, I think he's made seven masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and this, they they are all of a piece of Los Angeles. And he, he as Scorsese is to New York, he is to Los Angeles. He sees this place like nobody ever has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought I was able to look over the flaws because, like I said, I let it just kind of wash over me as a fable of Los Angeles and these historic events. But uh, in the back of my head, I was uh, I was definitely thinking some people may not be enjoying this as, as well. As I and, said, uh, yeah, I yeah. agree. I'm done so. talking about it. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Schmidt, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? You know, you can get me at Mike at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. You can be my friend at Facebook.com slash The40YearOldBoy. You can follow me at Twitter.com slash The40YearOldBoy. I'm available on Instagram and Snapchat at Mike40YOB. I'm also available on the PS4 network at Mike40YOB. Uh, you can subscribe to me at YouTube.com slash The40YearOldBoy. It's got all 11 years of the podcast archived there for you to check out, along with some stand-up and some soon-to-be uh, Twitch clips. Those will be there. What's that, Twitch clips? Well, of course. I'm at Twitch.tv slash The40YearOldBoy, playing video games and yelling into a microphone. Come and visit and watch me do that. <laughs> Twitch clips. Um, all my tour dates are at GrahamElwood.com. Check that out and uh, buy some stuff in the store because we're, we're, clo- we're shutting it down. So... Get your merch now. Before Everything so. must go. Everything yeah. must so, go. So, uh, thrilling adventure hour. Um, well, it depends on when this when this is going to drop. Mm, this, I can no, drop right. before Good. the third. May already be done. You may not. Yeah. You may not even know. But uh, <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> But the um, the uh, like we said, spend twenty dollars, and if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, people are uh, grabbing the loot crate. You have to be a Patreon subscriber for two months, and then we will send out a loot crate. A lot of cool stuff in there for sure. Everything from uh, Doug Benson CDs to Dean Haglund trading cards we have in the uh, in the garage that uh, could be yours. So, all right, that is our episode. That is spoiler ep ninety eight. Once upon a time in Hollywood. That's all it. Right. Thanks, Mike Schmidt. We Th- doing, th- doing this again in five years? Of course. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when he makes his movie. What, once every five? Yeah. About that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do this in five yes. years. We'll be celebrating episode 800. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't know what we say next. Oh, yeah, Aaron Brungar, <laughs> everybody at All Things Comedy, thank you so much. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han shot first. first. Twitch clips. <laughs> That's not a thing. (laughs) That actually is, sadly.